After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! The NHL is supposed to be on spring break right now, but they are doing makeup games, games that had to be postponed and rescheduled from earlier in the season. However, we were never taking a break on the Scouting the Refs podcast, were we, Josh? We were going to be here right through. Hey, there's there's always something going on, whether it's Olympic hockey, junior hockey, minor hockey. There, there's never a dull moment. But the NHL has so kindly stepped up to keep that flow of excitement just coming our way. <laughs> excitement is an interesting adjective or to use, I think. So we'll we'll go with that one for now. And as always, we have a few different kinds of circumstances involving games and things surrounding the games to get into on the Scouting the Rest podcast. Please make sure you're following us on our social channels. For Josh, of course, you know about the ScoutingTheRefs.com website, and you should be following him on Twitter and Instagram at ScoutingTheRefs. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. On this week's episode, elementary, my dear Watson, throwing your stick is never a good idea. Cross-checking and elbowing cost you a few thousand dollars, some bad words cost even more, and some big news about a big guest coming up. Is that enough intrigue for everyone, Josh? It is, and it's especially interesting when we can talk about the cost without actually charging anyone for it because we've got <laughs> players and a coach paying up this week. Uh, a few situations from the Situation Room, which... Always makes me laugh when I say that. I expect Wolf Blitzer to be. Maybe that's what the <laughs> NHL needs. Is you know what? Instead of the referees making the announcement, we could have Wolf Blitzer delivering the verdict on the Situation Room. What do you think about I, that? I think we need the the big talking head broadcast live to everyone <laughs> and in the arena that the officials just look up and and they wait for Wolf to announce it in in as dramatic a fashion as possible. Breaking news, no goal has been allowed in the Edmonton Oilers-Anaheim Ducks game because we couldn't find the puck. We couldn't tell if it was under Mike Smith's pad. We couldn't tell if it was before or after the whistle had blown, when, when the referee intended to blow the whistle. But that was the result of the game between Edmonton and Anaheim. When a puck was shot at Mike Smith, it was hidden. Nobody could find it. The dark pads probably worked in his favor, but no goal was ruled and everybody played on. Yeah, that was a, an interesting one. And one of those situations, unfortunately, where it comes down to what can we see? What can we prove? What do we know? And when you've got dark pads, you've got a dark puck, you've got referee Graham Skilleter well positioned uh, right behind the net. At some points, you have Smith blocking his view of the puck. And, and uh, as he's moving around, he can't quite tell where the puck is and neither could the situation room. So an unfortunate one where... We can't see where the puck is. And then the whistle blows because he does lose sight of the puck. So once that happens, if it's not a continuous play where the puck enters the net, the referee intended to stop play, whether it was before or after the whistle is immaterial. Once he decides that he's stopping play, the play's dead. And, and that's what happened here. But man, you, you can't even see it on the replay. You can't, can't find that puck. If only there were a way, Todd, that we could know. Is there a way that that could be possible, Josh? Can you, can you think of any way where we might solve this dilemma? I I can and i can't believe how much effort has been put into player tracking 
when it comes to keeping track of the players on the ice and their skating speed and all of that information, which is great data. But we haven't baked it into the puck yet because knowing that the puck crossed the line, having that sensor to tell us definitively that, hey, the puck went in and have it trigger the goal horn and have it trigger the sounds and the lights and the sirens and everything else. That could be automated. That could be something where the situation room no longer needs to see it. We could know that the puck went in and it could save us reviews like this case. I mean, sure, he still could have blown the whistle, but at least we would have known whether or not the puck crossed the line. The only other thread that we can pick at in this one, and I'm wondering what a can of worms it will open up, should we regulate what color goaltender pads should be? I mean, if those were light pads, maybe seeing the black puck would be different and easier. That is, uh, it's an interesting thought. We do have regulations around the tape at the end of the goal stick. It's required to be white. And, and that was from the olden days when we had a goal judge behind the net to not mistake the end of the stick for the puck crossing the line. So they're required to use white tape, but we've seen instances where a goalie uses black netting or black mesh in his glove. And it's hard to see if the puck is in his glove or not. And, and certainly with pads, it does potentially obscure it. I don't know that it would solve it all, but an interesting thought because lighter colored pads would certainly make it much easier to spot the puck in a case like this. Just something that we can think about as we move forward. Hey, there was for this game, Smitty had the old school goalie mask. He just needed the old school pads. You know, that, that brown leather would have been <laughs> really right. helpful. There you are. There was another goal mouth play that brought about a challenge in the Avalanche and Stars game. The puck went in front of the net. Colorado goaltender Pavel Francouz tries to smother it, and Joe Pavelski shoves the puck into the net. The contention was that Pavelski may have shoved the goaltender, pushed his pad perhaps. I never saw that right away from the time I watched the play. I thought, I don't think this is a good challenge. I don't think that there's any chance of this being turned over. It looked like Pavelski is doing the, you know, poking at the puck or in in the great words of Bob Airy, does the pickle stabber and does the uh, the pushes the puck into the net. He's not trying to push the goaltender. He's not. And and it was I, I had the same take you did on that one, Todd, that it looked like he's making a play for a loose puck. He's not pushing the goalie. And sometimes both happen. Sometimes you're making a play for the puck and you inadvertently push the goalie. You push his pads, you move him back, and it takes him out of position to make a save. We've seen a few situations where that's happened this season, where a guy's going for the puck, he pushes the goalie's pad, and they have to disallow the goal. In this case, we're looking at Rule 69-7 for rebounds and loose pucks, where a goalkeeper and a player are attempting to play the puck inside the crease, and, and there may be some contact there, but we have a situation where Pavelski is gathering the puck, Flipping it in, perfectly legal. Uh, this wasn't the type of contact where we see the goaltender being pushed out of the way. This wasn't where he was prevented from playing his position. So uh, it looked like a good goal to me initially, and I was I was a little surprised at the challenge, but ultimately I think the league got the call right. I agree. There was one other situation during a game between Colorado and Seattle. It's one we don't see often, but you know what? I kind of have fun with it and enjoy it when it happens. There was a puck that had crossed the goal line, got into the net. It's out just as quick. Nobody caught it. And that means the horn goes off, play stops, and we're going to re-rack this one a little bit and get the call right. Yeah, nothing more exciting than when <laughs> you have guys' arms go up, you have some celebrations, but there's no goal horn, there's no whistle. So we just we just keep playing. And and sometimes it's uh, it's a long time, sometimes it's a short time, but when that horn sounds and the, the player finally feels vindicated that he did score and that it just happened that everyone else on the ice missed it. They go back, they review it, and then the referee makes the official announcement that it is a goal. However, there are times when referees make announcements where 
well, let's just say things go a bit wrong. Number two, two miss for holding. They got Pete for holding here. Shut the... Whoa! <laughs> Hot mic! That was Chris Lee, who almost really got caught with the open mic. <laughs> he was, uh, he was uh, just realizing that maybe this was a good time to stop sharing his thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is a family show. Let's not really uh, let's not really do the whole thing. Okay, some serious business now on this edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast. He's Josh. I'm Todd. And please make sure you're following us on social media at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram, and at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Austin Watson of the Ottawa Senators gets into hot water for his hit on Boston Bruins defenseman Jack Ashan last week. The puck is in the corner. It's moved up the boards by Ashan. The puck had long since been moved when Watson came barreling in and clobbered the Bruins defenseman. The hit was late. The hit was high. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, this is not good. This is going to mean a call from the Department of Player Safety. And that's what happened. Watson did get penalized on the play, but I think he was also rightfully suspended for two. Yeah, this is one where it does rise to that level of supplemental discipline. If it wasn't as hard of a hit, if it wasn't as high of a hit, you know, if he just played the body, I think a penalty may have sufficed. But when you've got a guy coming in with that much speed and and hitting up high with potential for injury, that's what player safety is looking at to say, you know what? He didn't minimize contact. He finished the check. It was clearly interference. It was clearly a late hit. So it does rise to the level. And I think some action needs to be taken here. And I think it's the right call. You know, you, you have to drive that message home of it's up to you to minimize contact. You didn't do it. You hit him high. You hit him hard. You hit him late. And you're going to sit. It's still the reminder that it's no longer all on the receiver of the hit in terms of responsibility. Players delivering hits now in the NHL are much more responsible for their actions than they used to be. Yeah, I, if, if you listen to the player safety videos, you will become well-versed in the onus is on the player to deliver a clean legal body check or some variation thereof because they're, they're really looking at that. And you need to be aware as the hitter, are you looking through the numbers? Is this player eligible to be hit on this play? And if so, is this hit that I'm going to deliver going to be a legal one? So you, you take all of that into consideration when you're delivering the hit. And certainly hitting through the numbers isn't good. I know there are situations where a player turns, shifts their body position at the last minute. Sometimes the person being hit changes or moves and that contributes to the dangerous nature of the hit. But certainly something that you delivering the hit need to be aware of. You need to try to minimize contact in those situations. And if you don't, if you drive through, if you hit them square in the numbers, this is when player safety or the officials or both, have to step in. We had the official step in during a game between the Preds and the Winnipeg Jets, and I'm a little surprised there was no further action from the Department of Player Safety. Uh, turned into kind of a nasty game between two division rivals, the Predators and the Jets, and in the third period, Predators defenseman Mark Borbietsky, I don't know how that name gets pronounced with the way it's spelled, <laughs> but his name is Mark Borbietsky, cruises across the ice and delivered a hit to the Jets' Evgeny Svechnikov, the impact delivered by Borbietsky is with an elbow to the face of Svechnikov. It bloodied his nose. It was called a major on the ice. And then the referees, Corey Savret and Steve Kazari, looked at it on video, confirmed the ruling of a major and a game misconduct. I still thought there might be something more from player safety coming on this one. I thought so as well. When we see those kinds of plays, when we see the dangerous ones, the ones that aren't necessarily a hockey hit or a late hit or something where there's that extra piece like the Watson hit. It was high. It was hard. It was late. It wasn't just a late hit. There wasn't a minimizing of body contact. 
well, this is clearly an elbow, and there's no way that that is going to be a legal hit. I would have liked to have seen a game. I, I would have even gone with a fine, but I think one game for an elbow like this, a dangerous one, one that you're looking at potential injury on the play, I was surprised, Todd. I thought for sure we'd be seeing some action from player safety on this one. Apparently, they felt this one just just didn't break that threshold of rising to the level of requiring any additional discipline. And, and you will recall, they operate outside of what the on-ice officials do. So just because the on-ice officials called it a major doesn't mean that player safety says that's enough. They're reviewing it independently and, and making their own decision regardless of what the on-ice call was. So to them, this didn't necessitate any further action. Clearly, they agreed with Mark Borbietsky because when he was informed that he was done and out of the game, he looked up and said, no, I'm not leaving. <laughs> <Right. Well, laughs> it's like He's like, no, I didn't do anything wrong. It was it was the funniest thing to see the expression on his face. You know, it's always fun to look at the guys. And I, I can't remember which player it was because you get the players who look at it from the penalty box and they're they're so frustrated. They're looking at it going, oh, what's that call? And, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't be in here. And I don't remember which player it was. I'm going to have to dig up the clip and we'll share it out on social media. But there was one player a few years back who went into the penalty box and he's looking up at the screen and he sees what just happened and he shrugs his shoulders and goes, yep. Okay. Yeah. I, I get it. <laughs> one of the best penalty box moments I can recall. I have to dig that one up for you. Once in a blue moon, you player. Okay. I agree with you. You're right. I <laughs> The only time ever. <laughs> That's right. Okay. There was another curious one that happens occasionally, but not very often. So we like to go over it because there's a few different aspects of the rules that come into play here. NHL Ironman Keith Yandel. Congratulations on accomplishing the feat, becoming the NHL Ironman in a game this past week against the Detroit Red Wings. Well, the Flyers had their goaltender out. The Wings' Michael Rasmussen skates up with the puck, and Yandel slung his stick toward the puck, trying to knock it away. He missed. The puck was put into the net by Rasmussen. But as we have seen in previous similar incidents, this means an automatic goal. Throw your stick. It means a goal. I can't believe with nearly a thousand consecutive games, Yandel doesn't know that. Yeah, he's, he's probably seen it a few times. I mean, <laughs> he had to have been out there at least once for this happening. It doesn't happen that often, but uh, even even cracking the rule book over those years and years in the league, you know, on, on a long flight or you know, you're catching up at the hotel, maybe, maybe <laughs> you, just... you wait a minute. You really think players read the rule book on <laughs> flights or buses or whatever? Well, if Yandel had, okay, uh, he would have learned that throwing your stick at the puck carrier with an empty net will not prevent an empty net goal. It'll it'll assure that an empty net goal gets awarded on the play. Just just 53-8, Keith. That's all you had to look at there to know that your your attempt of preventing this goal ensured that it would actually happen. You know, it, it always could have been a Patrick Stefan situation. Rasmussen could have missed the empty net, but no, you threw your stick and you you guaranteed that if it didn't go in, it would have been awarded by the officials. And it's not like nobody's going to see it. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, the four guys on the ice. There's no goaltender down there. This is not going to slip past the officials unnoticed. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think so. Okay, another unique rule happened in the Maple Leafs and Penguins game. Morgan Riley and David Camp for executing a very nice two-on-one on a shorthanded play. Riley slides the puck over to Camp. The Pittsburgh goaltender, Tristan Jari, slides over to try to make the save. In doing so, he pushes the net off the moorings. The net is clearly off as Camp deposits the puck into the net. The goal counts. But Josh, take us through the several parts of this rule that make it a good goal. The, the biggest part 
that the officials are looking at in this is would the puck have crossed the goal line between the normal position of the goal posts? In this case, the net comes off, but the puck clearly goes between where the net would have been had it still been there. So that's the first part is was this even going to go in? The other piece of it, and, it, and it's one that's changed recently, Todd, was was the player in the act of shooting at the time that the net was displaced? And that was the former rule that the player had to have already shot the puck or been in the act of shooting. The language was changed in the rule book to be a bit more permissive and call it an imminent scoring chance. So in a situation like this, you know, clearly if the net comes off well before the shot happens, the whistle blows, the play is dead. But when you have a play like this where the puck is being shot, the player's got that scoring chance in front, this is that continuous play. So it was deemed that this was an imminent scoring chance. Obviously, the puck was already in motion, whether it had been shot at or prior doesn't really matter to the level of detail that it did in the past where they'd be looking to see exactly when the puck was in the act of being shot. This was a scoring chance. It entered where the net would have been had Jerry not displaced it. So we're looking at a, at a clear goal on this play. And I'm glad that it was as clear cut as it was because sometimes you, you look at those situations when maybe the puck doesn't go in and you're looking at, did the goaltender do this intentionally? Was it unintentional? Was he trying to make a save? Was he in a desperate attempt to dive across and knock the post off, or was he just trying to get a stoppage? None of that interpretation was needed in this case. It was clear that the puck was being shot. It would have gone in, so we really can disregard a lot of what happened outside of that and just say, good goal. You know, I got to say, that was a very good, thorough analysis of the play, and I think you've gone all Wolf Blitzer on me. We're using the <laughs> phrase imminent scoring chance. Oh, I, I, I need to hear Wolf say that now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, a couple of other plays that cost players a few dollars. Sabres and Islanders game. Buffalo forward Dylan Cousins skating back through the neutral zone levels. Islander forward Brock Nelson with a pretty nasty cross check. He got whistled for a two-minute minor. He also gets a request for an e-transfer from player safety for $2,235.42. I, I know it's the maximum allowable, but that's the amount. Yeah, the maximum allowable asterisk there because it's the maximum allowable without a hearing. They could they could find him more, but to find him more, you have to have that hearing there. Uh, it, again, this is one. It I see plays like this where we see what what Cousins did on this play, and then we see what, what Borbietsky did on his, and I I have to ask and say, okay, why here? Why not there? What happened on this play? But good to see it. It's an elbow. Let's let's find it. Let's get that e transfer in and and help out the players' emergency assistant fund. Thanks for your donation, Dylan Cousins. And another donation made by Calgary Flames player Adam Rosicka. And I say Adam Rosicka because as I was writing it, I, I'll date myself, but I wrote immediately <laughs> Stefan Rosicka. No, it was not Rosie Rosicka. <laughs> it was Adam Rosicka who delivered an elbow to Anaheim defenseman Kevin Shattenkirk and again got a similar $2,000 and change request from player safety. Yeah, and again, the, the the right call here. I think when we've looked at things that the NHL has tried to get out of the game, whether it be hits to the head or some of the slashing, elbowing to me is a, is a pretty obvious one. It's a, a dangerous play. It's not really making a hockey play as much as it is trying to take out your opponent. So glad to see the fines here. Not a huge dollar amount, certainly establishing these guys as repeat offenders if it happens again. But just sending the message that, hey, can you guys cut it out? Just just cut it out already. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's just stop, please. Just stop. So the biggest amount that was doled out in terms of a fine this past week goes to Nashville Predators head coach John Hines. He was docked the standard first offense amount of $25,000 by the National Hockey League. 
for inappropriate conduct after their game with the Washington Capitals. The league released no further details. There is very little video evidence of this, but Hines is yelling at referees Brad Meyer and Pierre Lambert. Preds lost 4-1. I don't know what he said, but to get that kind of fine, it must have been pretty substantial. Yeah, yeah, pretty good one. At first, I'd, I'd like to call out the NHL Coaches Association for for not sticking with their uh, their union guys here to put some limits in place. We've got multi <laughs> multi million dollar players getting a five thousand dollar fine, and we need the NHL CA to step up and protect these coaches a little bit when it comes to the fines here. But yeah, I don't I don't know if it was a penalty discrepancy. I mean, certainly we saw in the game Nashville had four penalties to two for the Caps, one of them being puck over glass. So I don't know if that was the differential. I don't know if there was a specific call that Hines was focused in on, but Really interesting to see and certainly very rare when you see the coach get a game misconduct at the 20 minute mark of the third period. But uh, the the refs, I know no time left on the clock. Hey, they tossed him. So uh, mm-hmm. so not surprising to see the NHL follow it up with a fine. And uh, unfortunately for Hines, a, a decent one. And I think that's part of the curiosity, frustration, wonder of fans about players who get fined, you know, 2200 bucks or a maximum of 5000 bucks. But you see these great big fines going against coaches. And I, and I understand it's all bargained and stuff, but I think that's part of the, the frustration as well. I think that this is definitely something that's got to be revisited. Are, are you saying, Todd, that uh, an elbow to the face only costs you two grand, but uh, a, a few words cost you 25? Well, <laughs> that means 10 elbows to the face, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, hey, you know what? If you, you may as well earn those dollars, right? And, uh, you know, I don't want to put words into Heinz's mouth. Well, the words he's put in there has already cost him 25,000. But, <laughs> you know, I, I wonder if he'd trade the words that he gave for being able to deliver a few elbows. (laughs) (laughs) This is maybe something that we can discuss with our guest on next week's program. I also will probably want to ask him what's the funniest thing that a coach has said to him that made him giggle or laugh. But former NHL referee is going to join us next week. Tim Peel is going to be our guest. I know we've talked about having him for a long time, and I'm glad we were finally able to line this up. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. And I'm sure I know that Tim has heard quite quite uh, some interesting things on the ice. He's heard his share of comments from players and from the benches, and I can't wait to hear what kinds of things he can share with us that that may not have cost a coach 25000 but <laughs> but certainly maybe it should have. Yeah, I can imagine there's probably been a few four-letter words hurled his way. <laughs> <laughs> 